Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. And welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Just while we get our space sorted, tonight's topic is going to be our PFI contracts plunging schools into crisis. And we're going to be joined by Brent Poland and Adam Spence uh, just to get that conversation started now. I'm just going to connect. Brent, can you hear me? Can, my friend. Good evening. And I can hear you coming through loud and clear. So I'm going to add you as a co-host and step into the background again. Oh, no, before you go, uh, two oh, things. Go on. Uh, good luck on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's more odds to say that the odds of Wales winning in Ireland are as good as the, the Conservative Party winning an outright majority in the next election. So that's not good. And uh, I look forward to your show on 4th of March, I believe it is, with um, good Dr. Fisher. Is oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it should be a really, really interesting one. Some really interesting takes there and some stuff to delve into, but a different perspective maybe on education from someone outside the profession. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of conversation going back and forward with, with the good doctor causing a bit of controversy within the profession. But that's the thing is it's OK to listen to different perspectives from people and uh I'm actually uh, I'm married to a clinical psychologist, so uh, I, I often have those conversations from um, my own practice versus the perfect world of what my wife would want and, the, and what you have in a, in a classroom situation. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. So well done on, on, on Snatch, and I think it was a really good guest, which should generate, I think, um, some really good traffic and, and, and good discussion as well. So Definitely. look forward to that. Right, I'll step back and leave you guys to it. Well, good evening. I think Adam's in the house. Uh, sorry if my voice is a little croaky. I've had one of those um, half terms from hell. Uh, my plasma television is now not working. What do you do with two children in half term? Um, do outside things, except it's obviously been raining like cats and dogs. We've got flooding. Um, my voice is gone. I've had the week-long lurgy. Um, sent the children and wife down to Alton Towers while I lay in bed for two days. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying half-term. The next time somebody says to us about teachers getting these holidays off, um, yeah, I'm going to remind them that maybe my body was telling me that I needed a break and uh, I'm a bit broken. I wonder how many of us, I was just showing that, I wonder how many, many of us have had the first week of the summer holidays, the first week of Christmas, or they spent a significant time on half-term with your body just going and stop. And I think that's just what happened. So, yeah. So it's been one of those uh, one of those weeks where I actually don't mind going back into school and getting myself into back into routine. So Adam, um, yeah. got a good yeah, one so, tonight. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry, Brent. I was just distracted by my mobile phone. Oh, were well, you distracted by a mobile phone? Oh, interesting. Just that is, is that I, 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 I did a bit of research into our school policy because I remember I was involved in our school policy and mobile phones uh, back when I was a school governor. Uh, first stint as a school governor. Would you like to know what year? we uh, come up with our mobile phone policy? Um, let me think. 2012? Nope. 
the first mass produced iPhone was 2007. Okay. And me being me, because I was PHC coordinator back then, you know, I was pretty much on the ball ahead of the curve and a lot of things. He was a young professional as he were back in those days, uh, trying to look at the latest trends. And our policy was dated December 2008. It was the first time we had a specific policy which indicated that mobile phones were to be banned, including smart devices, and that they weren't allowed in, out in lessons, and they weren't to be used during break and lunchtime. And it was because, ironically, there was one incident where somebody had recorded something. And, and that's sort of um, the point I'd made as well. What's the point of having, you know, filters and proxy server filters in schools when the network is, 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 is filtered and the children can have anything in those mobile phones? And straight away, you know, I remember my um, deputy head who just turned around and said this to me, and it stuck with me. It's not our business for this stuff outside schools. And that was the head of pastoral care in 2008. It was like, it's not our business what they, they do in these phones is, or the internet or social media and how that's changed in the last 13, 14 years. But it's interesting that 2008 is when we formulated a policy. 2024 was when the government finally turned around and said, yeah, maybe mobile phones in the classroom are a bad idea. I note in their whole policy, not one mention of any other smart devices. They've just said, you know, smartphones. They haven't even mentioned smartwatches. So I'd love to know who's doing their um, doing their nine-page, you know, um, non-statutory advice. Because quite clearly, they have basically already behind and out of date before it's even been published. Well, it's 14 years out of date for my money, but there we go. Yeah, it's obviously a, kind of, it's a, it's a clear kind of distraction uh, policy, but... Uh, um, yeah, I think my joke at the start was about as funny as the government's um, response to it. And if you saw the Rishi Sunak uh, video uh, online message about it, where he kept getting distracted by different messages. Um, it's interesting. I, I did think there was kind of an irony with um, seeing all those WhatsApp messages coming through when they seem to kind of struggle to find any WhatsApp messages. Have you ever seen House of the Parliament? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that video where I've seen that clip picture where they're checking out hot tractors again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Matthew Ferguson's and Zedders. Ooh, we've got a John Deere in here. Ooh, I'm going down a very dark avenue, aren't I? I'm taking yeah. myself down a very dark just, avenue. Just to, just to make everyone aware, there will be massive balance today because we are going to uh, be critical of uh, Labour as well as we go into the. Uh, the PFI contract. Oh, all sides are getting it tonight because, let's <laughs> be honest with you, all sides have just presided over. Yeah, I'll just inform the listeners, Brent, that you called me about 15 minutes ago all het up and I told you to basically to calm down and, and save, yourself for the, uh, save yourself for the podcast. Should we just say a quick hello to uh, John Cap, Brent? Uh, because hello, we're John Cap. Hello, John Cat. Uh, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, uh, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Uh, please use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore the full range of titles and advance your personal developments. Um, happy reading and uh, just while we're just uh, doing kind of ads you want just to uh, give everyone a heads up Brent on next week's show yeah uh, next week's show what I want to do is is it's been leading towards this for a while I've been sort of waiting for this one to get that critical mass and it's starting to hit that critical mass because the paying conditions the um, the review body haven't done their homework and the unions are starting to build momentum towards 
um, you know, calling for another strike. And it's interesting, it's it's not just the NEU, the NASUWT are both indicatively balloting. Ironically, the NASUWT have been since September doing action short of um, strike action, which has, has that more effect than a chocolate fire guard, let's be frankly honest with you. Um, look, I, I've expressed my views on this before. There's more to this than paying conditions. Um, and, and, and I just can't for the life of me think, here we go again. It, it's just deja vu. And it's almost as if the guys in charge are either incompetent or they just want to fight. And and the unions, whether they want to fight, I don't know. But here we go again. We're it definitely feels so, like an agitation move. It's an escalation. It's just an escalation again. It's just coming back round again. And and, and and the thing is, this inflation has come down to 4%. And, and we are now technically in a recession. And they could say, well, you know, you got 6% pay rise. Well, that's not exactly true because, you know, when inflation was 10, 11%, we were getting 3 to 4%. So the numbers just don't add up. And with the recruitment retention crisis, I mean, paying conditions is, 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 is there. But there's also something else going on, which is connected to this week. And that's budget as well. I mean, because that's the thing we said about any any uh, pay rise has to be ring fenced as extra money rather than coming out of budgets. And the, tonight, what we're going to look at is the timeline of PFI and just another example of where the money's going in schools. They always say to me when I started campaigning a long time ago, follow the money, just follow the money, and you will find where things are going. And literally, the PFI scandal, and fair play to Bronwyn Jeffries and, 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 and Tom had a really, really good interview with her last, last week. It was well worth a, a listen back um, on, on anywhere we get Teachers Talk Radio and Spotify, um, Podbeam. And it's worth a listen to for other, other reasons as well. But but it was the, on the back of the timing was very impeccable of getting Bronwyn on talking about PFI scandal. But it was more than just that as well. She's got a wealth of experience of reporting in educational matters. And let's be honest, educational matters, where do we start at the moment? There's just so many things going on. It's practically in the news every day, education. There's always, when I listen to national radio, you know, they have like three topics. Education seems to be up there. And things keep coming around. Like how many times have we talked about mobile phones? How many times have we talked about behavior? How many times have we talked about recruitment and retention? It's just a constant, like a month goes by, free school meals comes up. We've got like a news cycle of like 10 items, send crisis. They just keep coming around, don't they? Um, and nothing seems to sort of get done except the situation seems to get worse and more evidence seems to be presented, which is interesting because the critical mass hasn't reached yet. You know, I don't know where the breaking point is. At what stage does the breaking point come? Where do the wheels come off? I, I, I don't know. But what was interesting what Brandon was saying was was that the PFI scandal was the non-disclosure agreements. That it's yeah. difficult to get the evidence because these non-disclosure agreements were signed um, by the companies going into you know, by the councils and by the, the governors of schools, which tied them and getting evidence to come forward was difficult because, um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're trying to get the evidence and people don't want to whistleblow or their, their hands are tied. I've come across these non-disclosure agreements before when I was working um, in my local community against high-speed rail, HS2, which was coming through Long Eaton, my local area. And it was disgusting how the local councillors off the record were saying to me, please campaign, please, please. On the record, they couldn't do nothing. Their hands were tied. They were, they were broken people because they seen what hammer was coming down and they were hamstrung. They couldn't do anything to stop it because they were basically tied into it. So I think it's a horrible thing in non-disclosure agreement because, you know, people can't do the thing that democracy in democracy you want, which is the freedom to speak out. And I think there's something about this whole PFI scandal for me is a democratic deficit. 
and it sinks to the high heavens in a sense of how we've lost control over our schools, how head teachers have lost control over their schools, how local people have lost control over their own schools and how it's just now being semi-privatised. And, and what we'll do tonight is at about eight o'clock, we'll go through the timeline. I want to go through from 2003, the start of the PFI, sort of like the great fanfare of it's the saviour, it's going to rebuild our schools. To then 10 years ago, the warning started to happen to five and six years ago when people were going, hold on a second here, we're paying out a fortune to these companies and they're sending the money off the tax havens to obviously recently now we've, we've had some some final sort of fight back where people have said, you know, forget your non-disclosure agreement, this is enough, we've had enough. So it's definitely reached that critical mass. Um, but it's interesting. I did a lot of research today, I had some time today, and I went through and I found a lot of local news stories from newspapers in Blackburn and Burnley, uh, Hull, Yorkshire, North, North, the Red Wall area is funny enough, with, with a few exceptions. And they were warning about, you know, this school is, 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 is in trouble because it's paying out this, this school is, is falling down. We had a great Teachers Talk radio last year. I think it was Tom had a, a guest on who was, who was from a newly built school. And he was saying is he would have preferred his old rundown school because the half the school building was, 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 was unfit for purpose and the contract was terrible. So it is out there. It has been. It's another one of those stories that's not come out of nowhere. It's just been slow burning. Like asbestos has been slow burning. Like air quality in schools is slow burning. Like the rack crisis, you know, that was four or five years before somebody sort of pushed the button and went, seriously, are these things safe? So there's always these issues that slowly burn and then all of a sudden some media picks it up and then it goes away, doesn't it? Um, yeah. and our job, I suppose, but, what we're trying to do is, is make sure we new, don't. That's the new cycle, isn't it? I guess it's our job to kind of uh, hold the education stuff. Um, so I think the plan is to kind of let the room fill up tonight, isn't it? So we can get a kind of good chat on uh, PFI. Mm. I'm sure you've got people have got kind of their own stories. Uh, so we just whisk through some stories from um, all around the country. Yeah, uh, a couple of select think, stories. Yeah. So do you want to start with uh, Sadiq Khan down in uh, London? And uh, Khan, much controversial as he is, has confirmed that air filters will be installed at 200 London schools as part of a trial for worth 2.7 million to see whether they can be provided for every school in the capital. He said the scheme would need to help make progress and even further faster reducing impacts of toxic air. Um, so um, <laughs> but late considering um, what happened during COVID, I know that Germany, in, they put filters and they put um, stuff in their schools and I think December 2020, mm. only a couple of months into um, into COVID. Well, we, 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 did that, we, so. well, we had a show, didn't we? One of our first... Uh, one of our first was where Karim Bales was on and Karim yeah. is um, well, one of those... Holland, wasn't it? And the Dutch yeah. schools, and uh, they, yeah. were, they were doing it way back then, so we're kind of way off. It's good that it's happening, but it's way off. Uh, well, here's me. What, why am I probably lurgied at the moment? I'm probably lurgied at the moment because, you know, I'm, I'm in... I'm in, I'm in a school and schools are high impact, you know, high, high contagious environments. You know, you need to ask any NQT go into the first two or three years of teaching and you pick up everything, don't you? You're, you have to build up your immunity. Nurses is the same, isn't it? There's certain professions that you come into contact with a lot of people. And I think, you know, teaching, I think, is second to, to any other profession out there for long COVID. Mm. I've got colleagues of mine with long COVID. Um, so it's it's... It's about time, and again, much like Khan has done the free school meals, um, I know he's got his critics, I'm always a big fan of him, but there's two things he's done with schools that I think um, others maybe need to have a look at, and one was the free school meals, and the other was the, you know, the trial for the air filters. Interject a second, if um, yeah. I'm, if anyone hasn't uh, watched the ITV drama Breathtaking, 
Um, it's in, it's incredible. Um, the, the 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 again, ITV have done a great job, a bit like with the post office. And mm-hmm. I don't that's kind of the way forward. And uh, someone did joke that uh, I don't think it's kind of like the dark humor that maybe they should uh, start doing a um, ITV should do a drama on the uh, SEND crisis in schools. Because uh, that's the that's the only way kind of government kind of stick you know uh, start listening or the public seems to start listening once there is a kind of ITV uh, drama on on something. But uh, yeah, oh, seems- you listen to those phone-ins to some yeah. of the parents and some of the children and some of the we know we all know some children who are really suffering, some parents who are really suffering, and it's the ones without the cultural capital. It's the yeah. ones who just don't have, and that's what that's that's the problem with school and education now. It's whoever shouts the loudest sometimes gets, and that's not fair. I mean, I'm a big believer in equality and, and social justice and fairness. And what's happening to to some families at the moment with, with regards to their educational provision, I, I, it's not fair. But here's the thing: I want to be angry at local authorities, but I also know I've got friends who work in local authorities, and they're telling me they're in, they're in debt. They're they're going under. They are really facing, you know, Hobson's choices. And and again, it's easy to, to sort of blame the people, and it's a blame culture we have. But there just isn't enough resources. And it goes back to what we're going to talk later on about. Is there enough resources? There is enough resources. They're just being squandered, wasted and misappropriated. I, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's starting to. So we kind of suggested that with uh, some of the kind of pay issues. Well, there's no money for pay. Um, yeah, there's money for CEOs pay, I'll tell you that. <laughs> there, there, there seems to be kind of, um, you know, well, there has to be. So there, there will have to be money for interest for uh, PFI companies. Um, there's, well, there's money for consultants to come in and tell you how to how to interpret the will of an organisation like Ofsted. I always, you know, I, I think we've often felt guilty that we're 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 taking money from from the hands of the children, and it's not fair that we should ever feel that way. But I go back to 2010 when we were all told we're all in this together. We'll have to tighten our budgets, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Some of us tightened our budgets, and some of us haven't. You know, teaching profession hasn't. You know, we, we're, we're, we're constantly bottom of the queue when it comes to pay and earnings. I've said before, you know, this whole idea of 30, 30,000 pounds, brilliant for starting salary for a new teacher. That's six grand lower in real terms than when I started on. And they're crowing about that as if that's a good thing. And as I said before, I come, I come into teaching with less than 10 grand debt. The only way coming in now is 50, 60 grand in debt. And, and in real terms, that's nearly one and a half times more than in real terms to me. That's ridiculous. And then the mortgages, don't, oh, seriously. Don't. So we'll go to another one. Um, reform of GCSEs is essential. We know that. Um, so the house, the head of the, the the House of Lords, Lord Johnson of Marylebone, and he's the Lord Select Committee in eleven sixteen of Education says the national curriculum in schools in two thousand and ten imposed is too limited and overstuffed. Tell me about it as a history teacher. Anyone, anyone of us, tell us that we don't have an overstuffed and too limited curriculum, which just isn't going to meet the needs of digital future or equally the children of the future. Um, And the baccalaureate, he's saying again, the baccalaureate has ultimately failed. Uh, He says, quote unquote, the government's attempt to recreate a 1950s curriculum. That's correct. You know, the government's attempt to recreate a 1950s curriculum. I think we know what individual within the government was trying to create that 1950s curriculum has not helped many disadvantaged children. Noting a quarter of disadvantaged children failed to reach grade five or above in GCSEs. It's been a fascinating week for me because I've had we've had uh, students come to visit us who've been with me kind of all week from uh, Milan and I've kind of been talking to them about their education and they've they've moved away from some of the things that you know we kind of think as modern advancements in our curriculum such as like computer science and digital skills and that type of thing uh, because they they kind of move in with the kind of future they do 
do um, computer science and things like that, but almost as like a philosophy. So they're looking at it from a kind of ethical and moral point of view rather than like just fitting their coding. Um, so that kind of knowledge-based curriculum that we have has seemingly in Italy been kind of, they've moved on from that and they're looking at things like we should be doing, which is like almost like critical thought. Which well, will grow, which you'd will have the technology I'm teaching the children now is not going to be there by the time they're in employment. So what are we teaching them? Why are we teaching them? I, I, I say, I say yeah. again, why are Ofsted inspecting me and underlining my underlining my date and title? I, I'm refusing. To, I, I'm done with it now. I don't care what my book looks like. Because you know what? <laughs> what the? What, what, what is it going to do to a child's future if it knows how to write a title in an exercise book? Oh, come on. Victorian, that's absolutely borderline ridiculous. No wonder we've got children who are switched off. Okay, underline your title, underline your date. In your 20th century exercise book, in an exercise, I mean, and this is get the secondary school. Kids shouldn't be using exercise books in secondary school. Are you waiting for a laugh? You may as well get the blackboard out. You may as well get the TV out and start wheeling the TV in with David Attenborough. I mean, serious to goodness. What kind of country are we running here? The sixth wealthiest country in the world. South Korea was switching to, switching to kids to digital learning in 2010. 2010, we're 14 years behind South Korea. You were overtaking British economy in the next two years. And their education system is way ahead of ours. Absolutely. Where are we going backwards? Estonia is the right to overtake us. Oh, seriously, where, where are we going with that? So yeah, GCSE is the only country in Western Europe which examines children at 16, which is legacy a legacy of the historical reason that children left school at 16 and went into further education and went into training. That's 20th century. We're still hanging on to some sort of 20th century idea that kids leave school at 16. They don't. They don't leave school at 16. They, so why are we examining them at 16 and why do we examine them again at 18? To have one examination when they're 17 or 18, scrap GCSEs completely. Get done with them. Because some of them are first. Not first, some of the children are not ready. Some of those 15-year-old boys. You're <laughs> joking. Take a 15-year-old boy versus a 16-year-old girl. In maturation level, to get your Piaget involved in that and tell me that's a fair that's a fair fight. Of course yeah. it's not. Of course it's yeah. not. And then they're wondering why girls are doing better than boys. Of course they are. The brain development's further on ahead. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I can tell you I know brain development. I've read enough about it. And it tells me quite simply that children develop at different rates and therefore why we examine them, we're rewiring their brain at fourteen and then we're examining them a year later. What a girl. What a, absolutely bonkers. It's the worst time in their life to get them re-examined. And what we're having to do is shackle them into a GCSE exam system, which basically is knowledge-heavy in a world that's moving beyond knowledge and into an acquisition of knowledge and critical thinking of knowledge. And what are we doing? Cramming their heads full of information. No wonder they're saying to us, what's the point of this? They, they're not, the kids are clever, they get it. I mean, what was I, I wasn't taught about the internet at school. I, I always said to the kids, who taught them how to do scratch? The other day I had a computer's lesson and I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. I winged it. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm looking at the lesson going, what the What's scratch? So I got, got on this this web, this, this this application. I thought, oh my God, where's the PowerPoint? Let me stick to the PowerPoint. Nothing on the PowerPoint. Okay. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn it back on the kids. I'll let them be the experts. It worked. They were teaching me after after 20 minutes. I picked, I picked it up. And, and kids were going to me, sir, how do you do this and how do you do that? I'm going, I don't know, you tell me. And they were like, but you're the teacher. And I went, you tell me, you're, you're teaching me here. Who's you scratch? Three quarters of kids put their hands up and they've done it at primary school. They do it, they do it in their own time. I'm like, fantastic. 
They're teaching me, their computers teacher, who isn't a computers teacher, who's never taught computers before, because we've got not, no computers teachers. And why are we doing it anyway? Oh, it was just one of those moments when I thought, this is just, this is just get it out of control here. And somebody comes in and inspects me and says, how good was your computers lesson? Oh, it was fantastic. Kids did a lot of learning. Yeah, of course they did. Nothing to do with my teaching. You've got to do with their learning. Had to do with their learning outside school. Didn't have to go to school to do that with me. In fact, the machines they're working on and the school building that they're in was way below the standard. And that's something that's interesting. When I was a kid, the one computer at school, the BBC computer that sat in my primary school was like something out of Doctor Who. It was like, wow. And I remember going to secondary school and the first ever computers I saw in secondary school, remember word processing for the first time with one hand. And that was like, wow. First ever Excel I used, um, 1994, 95, first ever version of Excel. I made a graph for the first time. It was like, wow. Man discovered fire. It was like the, you know, the monkey thing the, 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 in, in 2001 Space Odyssey. The, the, you know, I was banging on the old bones were going everywhere and man had invented fire. Amazing. First started uni in 96, right? I was handwriting my first essays in 96. By 99, they were all word processed. Little did I know I'm going to teach in 20 years and still be getting kids to handwrite at secondary yeah. school. Well, as soon as they leave secondary school, what are they going to do? Hand up their essays, what? Are they going to handwrite their essays at college? Are they going to handwrite their essays at uni? Yeah. Are they going to handwrite their work over to their, their boss? Here you go, here's a handwritten, here's a handwritten report, sir. <laughs> They'd be laughed out of the job. Yeah, we well, I know. We, 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 we went through a lot of stuff. Um about uh, AI today as well. And I know that uh, Tom has had a play uh, with the uh, text to video content and, and shared the video there. But as a, I can tell you now, as a history teacher, Brent, you will be able to prompt AI to create you like a scene from a particular historical area. Sora, you'll be, oh, you'll be scary, able, yeah. You'll be able to show that in the, in the classroom. And, you know, and I, we, we were talking about it and a couple of the kids are kind of, as we were talking about it, like we're like even looking at me going, Oh, we've 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 already done this, and that just few of them got the phones out and kind of showed me a couple of clips that they had already kind of put together, or were playing with some kind of drone footage going over a kind of mountain scene. Um, so again, and after that, that was just like form time. I then go into my next lesson, and it's like right, uh, yeah, we're back to kind of almost like chalk and talk, which is it's, it's a bizarre kind of juxtaposition sometimes between kind of. You know what's what's going on in the real world and it's like right let's get back to what we're doing today which is you know very almost you know back there's to there's a disconnect between the learning yeah. and the relevance and the actual practicality of it and the re yeah. yes we've always had that don't get me wrong we used to, i used to joke with maths teachers and go like to it you know i'm not gonna need algebra when i walk into the shop and my, my maths teacher used to turn it like uh he's like why do i have to use the, can i use the calculator sir you won't walk around with a calculator in your pocket when you're older. Yeah, you do. You've got a mobile phone in the pocket that's got a calculator. That one didn't go down. And then, don't get me wrong, there are things about, but then, yeah, as a maths teacher would tell you, and I'm not criticising it, it's about the problem solving, it's about the brain development, it's about the ability to solve the problems, not the answer that's important. Hence why all the maths teachers always, always drilled me about, it's not the answer problem they want to see, it's your working out. And I was like, why is it always the working out they want to see? Because I was one of those that just went straight to the answer, of course. I've always went straight to the answer, and I used to get told off for it. But I didn't want to show the working out, I'd already done the working out in my head, but they wanted to see my method. 
And I get that because that's that's what we want to be seeing the kids. We want to see their method. That's why coursework, and I'm going to say something controversial, I'd want to bring coursework back because with coursework, at least I can talk to the kids, see their learning, talk them through their learning. You know, and I used to love that when I'd see the kids produce some work and then they're like, okay, I try this instead. But right, my, my art and, and DT lessons when I was a kid, when you're creating something, I think there's nothing more brilliant when you're watching kids create something. That's something I saw the other day when they were doing Scratch in, in, in computers. You know, it was fun watching them create their animations and of course on the screen was me doing my animations and at one stage one of the one of the kids looked at me and went you're enjoying this mr paul and i went i am very much enjoying this and I <laughs> because because I, I was playing with the sound effects and i found one sound effect and it was a, it was a fart noise <laughs> i had them in hysterics and they just looked at me and i'm going this is absolutely fun i love this and from yeah. the start, I went in and thought, I can't do this. I can't have to wing this. By the end of the lesson, they had, they walked out quite happy because they had learned something. And even and one of the things is that I, I, I matched up the children who hadn't, who didn't know about Scratch, but kids who did. And I sat back and looked and thought, wow, look, at they're, they're, they're teaching each other about it. But, you know, that, that happened because I had experience and enough confidence to be able to say, all right, and, and admit that I can turn it around like that. Again, I don't know, maybe people will be able to do something like that or in schools where they have prescriptive, you know, where they have prescriptive um, lessons I, or they worry just, about, just, you know, yeah. they, what, what they worry about, what, could they do that? Yeah. Talk, I talk, worry that, will they get into trouble for that? Yeah. Talk about having fun. I mean, I'm, I'll have a, a little listen just in case it's really bad, but I had a quick go on uh, Suno AI before before you came on. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, like a, it's like an AI uh, uh, app to make kind of uh, pop songs. Uh, so I, I, my prompt is create a hip hop song about a talk radio star, Brent, Brent Poland. Um, so I'll, I'll see. I'll see. I'm just looking at the lyrics now. Um, the chorus it's come up with is uh, turn up the radio, feel the rhythm flow, be Poland, bring in the energy. Yo, he's the talk radio star, the one we all admire. Listen up, world, because he's set to inspire. Oh, yeah. So I'll I'll, listen, I'll have a listen to that and see if it's uh, see if it lives up to the lyrics. But Why do I get nineteen nineties Run DMC? You do that in the back back and tune to that. That, that's well, like, that. That sounds like some sort of nineteen. Uh, 19- <laughs> it's like that, but that's the way. <laughs> Put that to that. What do you call it? Uh, Master Chief. What do you call it? Nineteen ninety seven. I love that. It's like that, but that's the way it is. So a uh, quick couple other quick ones. Um, knife crime among teenagers risen by twenty percent in the last decade. I'm blaming that on school rules. So there's been a 20% increase in cases of 10 to 17 year olds caught with threatening people with blades, according to the Ministry of Justice. However, the number of teenagers being jailed for these offences has dropped to 12% compared to 10 years ago. So we have more caught with knives and a 12% less conviction rate. Right. The average sentence length for those who were jailed decreased by 20%. So let's get those numbers. 20% increase in the number of cases reported of people being threatened with knives, 10 to 17 year old. However, 12% uh, reduction in uh, those convictions and 20% decrease in the amount of um, time that they get for them. The figures come amidst concerns of an epidemic among youth violence on the streets. Patrick Green, CEO of the Ben Kinsella Trust, called for a 10-year strategy to tackle youth night crime. Um, yeah, um, we've, it's, it's on the rise. On the whole, ironically, um, children are less aggressive and violent than they used to be. Um, and I've, I've said, we've discussed this before. And I think it was about the likes of um, lead and petrol was one of the things with theories about lead and petrol in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, that and we did a show about that, didn't we? Yeah. 
that data. So if you listen back, there's a podcast on kind of yeah. behaviors that, that we kind of did. But like everything else, the more extreme it become more extreme. That's my hypothesis on this. Our, our more extreme children are more extreme. Our bulk of our kids haven't changed in, in many ways. In fact, I think they've gone more introvert. We saw that during lockdown. Any generation, I mean, seriously, any generation that wanted to sit out lockdown, they just sat in their rooms and played TikTok and computer games. My generation would have been climbing up the walls. We were locked down the way they were locked down. Fair play, I don't know. I think a lot of people go on and say how, how much the kids suffered. <laughs> like they did, really? <laughs> they got everything they wanted. They got food in their bedroom. They got more pasta and toilet roll. You could shake a stick. That's all they needed. Just pasta and computer games, and that got them through. God bless them. So the rest of us had to put up with everything else that was going on. Um, but this one's an interesting one as well. And, and this, again, is, is, is again uh, on the rise. The number of cases of children suspended for sexual conduct, over 6,000 cases reported. Even primary schools have seen a rise in suspensions for sexual misconduct. So we've seen children present in sexual ways, more sexual disturbing behaviour. And it has sparked a debate over children exposure to online sexual imagery, imagery so again, you know, that social media changes in society, or hey, you know, you could probably put that down to school rules as well, possibly kids rebelling against having their shirts tucked in. I shouldn't trivialise it, but these are the things that we, we're, we're sometimes accused of, is, you know, the kids are, are rebelling against school rules, when in fact, we're seeing an increase in more extreme behaviours with a small minority, but these are more extreme than we've come across more extreme sexual reporting of misconduct, more extreme knife crime and violence. And and there's a definite trend there with the sort of the individuals, the more extreme end uh, that are presenting to us. And again, the lack of SEND support, the lack of local authority support, the lack of mental health waiting lists. This is your, 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 your sort of wraparound cure that we have become basically, let's be honest with you, we are, we are now frontline services aren't we really i know um, my bingo comes up with my phrase about you know the fourth emergency service but that's the truth of the matter we are seeing behaviors we've never seen before and the simple answer from some psychologists is that you know schools aggressive policies is you know fueling that i don't disagree that you know some schools go too far i do i agree that you know i, I don't shout as much as i used to do at children um and i have regulated my behavior and i think there is definitely something in the merit of regulating your own behaviour as a teacher and then changing the children's behaviour. I think that's true to a certain extent. But how can I regulate a child's behaviour who's presenting in, in extremely sexual ways or is, is holding a knife? What am I meant to do? Sort of like to that situation. And this is happening a lot more to teachers being attacked and even, you know, seriously attacked. Um, and what do we do with that when we come across that? You know, your natural reaction and my, my natural reaction is to to try and regulate and control that environment to make sure that those behaviours are safer. And that, that's a natural human, I think that's a natural human instinct, isn't it? To try and regulate and control for the safety of the majority of the other children. And some people may say that's fueling, you know, some children with likes of ADHD and neurodivergent. I disagree. As someone who has neurodivergent um, tendencies, I like routine. I like consistency. I actually have routine and consistency in my own teaching practice and I have for a long long time because it makes me feel safe and it makes a lot of the children who have got neurodivergence seem a lot safer in my classroom because it's an ordered structured classroom where there is a locus of control but I relax once the control is there I can relax with the children because I've got built up a relationship there's a way of doing it of being firm and fur it's the old thing of being firm and fur um you need some structured discipline there you need some consequences 
but you shouldn't threaten the kids and you shouldn't have to bully them or you shouldn't have to use guilt or shame. There's somewhere in the middle, I think, and, and Nathan will tease this out in his show, I think, in the next couple of weeks with um, the good Dr. Fisher, but there's something somewhere in the middle we have to find, I think, the porridge moment of the Goldilocks sweet spot, you know, we're not too hard, not too soft, not too easy, not too difficult, you know, it's just it's getting it right. And I think that changes from school to school. But there we are, more cases of sexual um, misconduct for children as young as four with disturbing behaviour. For children as young as four. That's, that's pretty well, shocking, isn't it? Yeah. The, the room's, room's falling up, so we can get to yeah. our main topic. Should we say, um, you want we'll to say, say hello to the cat? Yeah, hi, John. <laughs> uh, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support uh, great teaching and learning uh, in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Uh, use code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbooksshop.com. Uh, to explore the full range of titles and advance your own personal developments um, today. Um, do, you want a quick, do you want a quick blast of your uh, AI song? Go on. Oh, it's not going to work now. I think, I think I got a blast accidentally a minute ago, but let me just see if it kind of... Can you hear that? All right, stop. Can we do a country and western version of that? Or actually, can we do a can we do a Celt, Can we do? Oh no, I'd, I'd like a country and western version or an Irish version with some bagpipes. James okay. Horner esque. You know, with I always love James Horner. The whole kind of like uh, the guy who did the soundtrack to uh, um, Titanic. I love that eerie. Or oh no no, do it to the style of Hans Zimmer. I've always wanted my own Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Batman, really, Batman, Hans, Hans, Hans Zimmer. I play Hans Zimmer in class. Kids know the Hans Zimmer. Yeah, of course, I have to avoid the Pirates of the Caribbean. That sets them off in the Captain Jack Sparrow moment. But the Hans Zimmer soundtrack is often played in the background of my class, along with Minecraft Sweden OSD. For some reason, that calms them right down into work mode. I suppose the thing is, they're, 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 the rhythms of their brain are, are it puts them into computer game mode. And, and that music in the background of computer games is done... Specifically, it's like Las Vegas um, casinos, soothe, forget the time, and they focus. And really, we're not. I've discovered that Sweden OSD. Here's a little tip for you: Sweden OSD soundtrack. Put it on the background, very low level, and just a nice noise level in the classroom. And for some reason, the kids just they they they, they don't focus on the music. It's a bit like um the philosophy you get in supermarkets where you don't notice the music, but you kind of notice the music. But the music's there to create the mood. Yeah, if you could do the Hans Zimmer that to Hans Zimmer, I'll set it off as, as we go and we maybe get it towards the um, end of the show. Um, but uh, obviously we've got a kind of a, a serious challenge as well for you, Brent, um, which Tom Rogers has kind of put on for you. So while we're kind of uh, talking about lots of different political parties, uh, you've got to try and get the balance with sticking the greens in there as well with this. So we get that kind oh, of... Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're we're sanctimonious oh, and, oh, and sometimes... Somebody said to me once, there's this, uh, as a, a debate, and goes, you can say anything you want, you'll always be opposition. And I thought, that suits me down to the ground. I'd rather be opposition. Well, I was, I was going to say that maybe like an unfair thing, of, we'll just concentrate on the uh, main parties. 
Well, I mean, the next government will be formed most likely by a Labour government and, and, and the previous government's been a Conservative. There's only been three political parties in the last hundred years who had government Then the Liberals were in, in coalition. And the last time and the last time they had a government by themselves was in the 1920s, I think, early 1920s, David Lloyd George, I think. So we're, we're at a hundred years of just two-thirds of those have been Conservative governments, um, one-third Labour. Uh, look, the thing of it is, I, I yes, for be fair and balanced, and I have... With the PFI scandal, it does it does go beyond both political parties. And what's interesting is I've got a news story, which is concerning um, a frontline Labour frontbencher who's got the fingers on the purse strings, and they were demanding. We'll get to that in a second. They were demanding more PFI at one stage, and this is what politicians do sometimes. They they sort of um we call it gaslighting, but they they say certain things in the pub and and then they they sort of backtrack the, the, the other way around. And and it's our job as, as Democrats, and that's I don't mind being held to account to my own. Um, I mean, I know Tom HB has often said that he's recorded everything I've said to be used against me. By all means, please do. At that, I don't mind discussion and debate. That's what we want. We want a healthy discussion and debate, and and. The more of it, the better, as long as it is honest, forthright, and the people are accountable, then that's good. But our current political situation is, when it comes to education, is one of, 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 of basically, nobody wants to talk. I don't know why. It's the same as the Ofsted thing. I think one of the good things about Teacher Talk Radio is it gives us the opportunity to have these discussions where I think sometimes our politicians are not wanting to be honest with us. And I think I had um, I had been on a, a national radio with uh, Bridget Phillipson, and I asked her an honest question, and an honest question was, Where you, when are you going to rebuild schools like you did in 2007? And I congratulated her, you know, on rebuilding, you know, a lot of schools in 2007, which is ironic, what, what, what I'm going to say later on. And, and the answer I got was like two minutes of just spiel, spiel, spiel. I went, sorry, could you answer the question? Are you going, are you or are you not going to rebuild schools? Because what's the difference? And again, I got another spiel. And even the presenter turned around and says, you haven't really answered the question there. So ask me any. I'm always the person who ask me any questions. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I'm part of a group who's currently rewriting Green Party policy on education, and there are lots of discussions because some individuals don't. I mean, I got told off this week for be, not being very green because of my 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 feelings on discipline. Um, because I, I might come across as a little bit traditional, and I am unadvertently traditional when it comes to educating children, and I'm not going to apologise for that. I'm, I'm also a person of faith, <laughs> which makes me a little bit conservative as well. So I often find a common ground on a lot of things. I was speaking to a conservative councillor last night after um, a council meeting and I teach his child and we were having a real good about a pint and 90% of the issues until we got to Europe and the economy, we were in complete agreement. I think a lot of us involved in education do want the same thing. I think even a lot of people in politics want to do the right thing. It's just we got to be honest about the conversations and that people are transparent and 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 what we're going to look at tonight is I, I think a story that has been slowly on the burn and slowly but surely should reach the point now where somebody within the political establishment should have picked this up and I think the only reason why they haven't is because they were embarrassed because they got this wrong and we know they got it wrong on hospitals that's well out in the public media we know PFI scandal on hospitals that there's a general consensus within the public that PFI what has hamstrung and caused a lot of budget constraints for hospitals. But unfortunately, no one has until recently. So Brandman was trying, um, obviously, to do, make that connection of, well, how have schools been impacted? Because the PFI scheme was also building public buildings, including schools. But surely then, if school if hospitals have been hamstrung and have had a lot of their budgets eaten into by PFI, 
that should have been an easy sort of thing for some journalists until Branwen came along to actually say and put this together. So no disrespect to the journalist fraternity. Um, they really could have made more of this because this story's been out there, but it's never made that traction. It's never been that big hoo-ha. And I suppose the reason might be is because the two political parties, if one political party had done this, then the other may turn around and, as opposition and go, ha-ha, you did that. But because I think that the whole political establishment for the last 20 years has bought into PFI or has done PFI, it's a bit embarrassing for both. And therefore, there's an element of, you know, EMU philosophy of stick our heads in the sand. And that's not fair. That's not right. Because that's why, not why, why, why bother bringing it up? But um, one of the first articles you, you found, Brent, was this: uh, the, the schools built in uh, Bradford. Um, yes. So it's a story you found back in 2003. Yeah. So in 2003, um, this is the Telegraph and Argus in Bradford, Keighley, Irr Valley, Eakley, Yorkshire. Um, so it's a local Yorkshire newspaper. And they are um, breaking the story that many um, in Yorkshire are going to welcome the PFI scheme um, because it's going to build the new generation of schools and that their schools were um, dilapidated, run down and needed of repair, which is that's, you know, 21 years ago. So governors, uh, so just go through the article. Um, so first three schools, Bradford under the private finances, will cost a total of 63 billion it has emerged. Uh, grammar School in Balton, um, Butter Tong and Buttershaw are three named as the top priority under the first year of the PFI scheme and building work could start in 2006. Bradford Council was granted pathfinder status by the government, which means detailed plans can be drawn up to improve the crumbling school buildings. Does it sound familiar? Under PFI schools are built and run by private partner and leased back to the authority. Now, of course, this predates the mass academisation, which I am in under Labour, and then, of course, continued under the Conservatives. So it was local authorities that were tied into this, of course. Governors would lose control of part of their budget, the cash normally spent on maintaining buildings, and some school support staff would move to the private firm's payroll. So it's a semi-form of privatisation, isn't it? Private firms involved in PFI will recruit their investment through a contract to maintain the new buildings for 25 to 30 years. So they would gain their money back by charging for services. And that's how they would make their profit over a period of time charging for the services. So they would invest in the, in the school buildings and they would, of course, get the money back. And that allows schools to offset, so much like you buy your car in a PFI, offset. Um, the initial building that you don't have the money up front, but you can pay over 25 to 30, like a mortgage basically, isn't it? Um, but we all know who wins in the mortgage, not the person paying the mortgage, it's the bank, doesn't it? So when you think about this, this is sort of like how banks operate, and it's not as if they haven't caused the 1929 Wall Street crash, the 2008 kind of banking crisis. And, you know, what did, what did he say? Who's that famous historian who said banks are more dangerous than uh, standing armies? I think it was one of the American presidents. Anyway, who, anyway, I have a serious issue with banks, the way banks operate, let's be honest. And a serious issue with PFI because they operate in the same sort of system as well. Because, let's be honest, that means that they are going to take over that period of 25 to 30 years a small profit for the services they provide. But they have a contract, which in a contract you have a legally binding contract. Both sides are in a relationship, same as your, you know, your bank with your mortgage. You pay your mortgage, you don't get your house repossessed. Fantastic, there you go. The bank lends you the money, you pay your mortgage on time, everybody's happy. You get to buy a house over a period of time, you wouldn't be able to buy outright. There we go. So under the Pathfinder scheme, Bradford will be leading edge of and his, under the Bradford will be at the leading edge of moves to develop the new model of the PFI scheme. So it was one of the first to go through this. A joint venture project involved in the council, the Deep Department of Education and Partnership UKs and the private sector. So this is all positive. It's all positive. Wow, brand new initiative. Bradford leading edge. Course, Redwall C, deindustrialised area, 
area of, of poverty could be with new school buildings, you know, gift horse in that sense, this is what they're saying. The deal is like they have major financial implications, though, for both Bradford Council and the schools concerned. Council members and governors will be required to approve the deal before it go ahead. So they did ask permission from council members and they did ask permission from governors. Leaders of all three schools, however, have welcomed the opportunity to have a purpose-built facilities alongside their current building. So, of course, the cherry was, look, yes, you're going to pay this over 25, 30 years. But, hey, you know, do you want your crumbly, old, terrible Victorian building probably with, you know, porta cabins from the 1970s out there? Or would you want yourself a brand new school that you pay over 25, 30 years? I think how that's how that was sold, wasn't it? Um, some of the buildings in Buttershaw date back to the 1950s. The head teacher said the current buildings are awful. Does not damage the, uh, damage the pro it damages the pro progress of the children. There's a 10-minute walk between some classrooms. And it's fantastic fantastic news. Uh, we, we're such a relief. We're also getting 1.2 million sports hall. Often children in places like this are given the worst facilities. This will make it better to learn. So this is all massively positive. Head teacher on board, brand new facilities, you know, partnership between government and Department of Education, this private company, wow. You'd say to yourself, and in a, in a poor deindustrialized area of the, of the North, great. What, what wasn't the, you know, what wasn't the like? This is how PFI was sold. This is how it was brought in. A great initiative, rebuilding our schools and offsetting it for future generation. Sounds, in theory, sounds okay, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds good, yeah. So we get to um, 2000, uh, 16 years ago. Yeah, so the Sourcing Money Week, which I think is kind of a good so one. This is, so this is Money Week, and um, so a publication, financial publication, what's wrong with PFI, they said. And this is 16 years ago. PFI was supposed to be the saviour of the public sector, but was costing the taxpayer a fortune and could prove to be a painful thorn in Gordon Brown's side. So we know where, where we are to Gordon Brown, not blur any longer. So will private financial initiatives survive? They're questioning already 16 years ago. There's only a couple of years after Bradford. Well, what, what are we doing these private initiatives? So PFI, the private initiative, is large-scale state spending. The idea came from the Tories, but is warmly embraced by New Labour, which sometimes prefer to talk about public-private partnerships. Under PFI, the government assigned more than 750 deals with private companies to build, service, and maintain all kinds of projects in the public sector, from schools, hospitals, and prisons, to roads, and even defence facilities. Right. So where to rebuild the public sector on an offset. So what was in it? It was good news for the private sector because PFI has become a booming four billion pound a year industry involving money for upfront lucrative service contracts and predictable revenue stream for years. Let me say that again. A predictable revenue stream for years. And the revenue stream was, of course, going to come from. That's correct. School budgets. Congratulations. So hold on. Let me, let me get that. Even then. It was no longer, that money's going to come out of school budget. Now, of course, in 2016 years ago, yeah. we hadn't had the sort of financial crash was about to happen. And everything was, the, the financial situation was pretty rosy. You know, the, the early 2000s weren't that bad financial, financially. There was a boom years, wasn't it? We were having a, a good time back then. It was just a natural uh, global sort of economy it was quite healthy. Yeah. Um, and that was the situation then. They were warning. So what's in it for the state? This is more contentious. Supporters of PFI argue that it allows the state to access private capital and gives the private sector more confidence to get involved in government projects. It was certainly the reason taken up from the Labour Party in 97 and Blair's first health secretary, Alan Lindbergh, declared when he came in, arguing that it's PFI or bust. However, sceptics frequently argue that PFI is more than a gigantic accounting fiddle or higher purchase scheme, keeping current infrastructure spending off the government's current accounts 
and shifting it on to future generations. Hello, future generations. That's oh, we're, here. we're here. We're here now. Hello, we're here. We are the future generations. That's 16 years ago. So thanks very yeah. much for that. So the Gordon Brown keeps us much of reputation for that's a whole cohort, isn't it? Through from kind of birth to GCSE. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. So it's, this is two it's, years before the government changes. This is just before. What is interesting about this, this article? It's yeah. literally just before the banking crisis of two thousand and eight, which again would have just scuppered everything. So in theory, nothing wrong with PFI, but in practice, the numbers haven't always quite added up for the taxpayer. Instead of private sector companies involved, the deals appear to be making spectacular profit, and the government is getting stuck in looking nasty-looking payment commitments. So the private sector is making profits, and the government seems to be stuck holding the baby. For example, $54 billion has been spent on infrastructure and services under PFI, but these are the government's own figures. The long-term cost to the taxpayer of that $54 billion is going to be like more $160 billion. Right. What can we do with 160 billion of the hospitals and schools when it comes to well, 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 I wonder. Well, I wonder what that figure stands at now. Like this that is a 2000 and pre 2008. Yeah, yeah um, this this is just a prediction. There's going to be a massive overspend. I'd say about 70 percent increase. So 160 billion. Um, and I know this because that that was the original uh, cost for. Um, I've always been working out from 2009 what the cost of uh, HS2 was going to be. Um, we're talking about a 70 percent. So that was 70 percent of one one point six. Uh, ooh, that's about 250 billion quid then. So, yeah, and the rest. Yeah, but now, now, but now those buildings now have got to now go through a kind of almost some of them we've seen on Brandwin's work about the the fact that some of those buildings aren't even fit for purpose. Fit for purpose. So, so actually, they've got now more maintenance to do on them. Do you know what I mean? And the contracts are all basically not being honoured. So the contracts aren't being honoured in some schools. And yet, so you sort of say to yourself, all right, okay, it's a bit like your mortgage being too much for you, but you, you stick it out for 25 years and you've got your house at the end of it. At least you've got the house at the end. You've got something to show at the end of it. Yeah. Right. What happens if you buy in the money pit? <laughs> so basically, you've got a PFI and you've got Tom Hanks in the money yeah. pit. That's what you've got. Yeah, you haven't got a functioning asset anyway, have you? To kind of, to kind of base any of this off. Do you know what I mean? And the biggest part is, you can't complain about it because you're tied into a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. I mean, absolutely tied in. So that's 2000, that was, that was 2008. That was what they were warning about the PFI scheme. So here we are 11 years ago. And 11 years ago, so we're now in the Conservative government and Labour's in opposition. And you'd think at this stage, wouldn't you, that they would go, right, let's just distance ourselves from PFI. Let's just not PFI, let's run a mile from this, let's keep a low profile. So the first group of rundown schools to benefit from the government rebuild scheme has been announced after the contractor was appointed. So this is 11 years ago. Six schools in the region were part of the phased priority investment, three in County Durham and one each in Stockton on Tees, Gatehead, Gateshead and Sunderland. You can see who I'm going with this. Aren't you? If you know your if you know your politics, you know which politician is in that area. Schools are among 27 in the region. Told last May they received cash from a 2.4 priority priority school building program. Those in urgent need of improvements include five of the six announced today would be fast tracked from the Department of Education. So, what type of investment were they calling for? The rest are rebuilt or refurbished through the private finance initiative PFI scheme. But just last week, concerns were raised about the future of the projects. MP Bridget Phillipson called on the government to take action because PFI school projects in her Houghton and Sunderland South constituency were struggling to secure loans for the work. Let me just repeat that. 
Yeah. Bridget Sullivan is calling on the government to take action 11 years ago to get PFI school projects in her constituency actually built. This is after the financial crash and while she's in opposition and after the warnings about the PFI scheme. And there she says, for her own, own whatever you want to call it, and there's a smoking gun sitting there. If anybody, investigative journalist, wants to turn around and ask an awkward question to Bridget Phillips and say, hello, Bridget Phillips, and any chance of telling us why you were still advocating for the building of PFI schools 11 years ago, when we all knew that they were very, very, very dangerous for schools to get logged into. Education Secretary Michael Gove pledged to investigate the holdup and criticising was followed today by the announcement of um, the contractor, who one of the biggest in the world, by the way, who won the contract to carry out the renovations in the Northeast. In County Dora, the work will begin, and, and, and these academies uh, will work. And as it's going on a bit, Michael Gold, what he's talking about. So there we are, in 11 years ago, yep. even then, still calling for more PFI and calling for PFI to be built in the constituency of now the current Chancellor, who, let's be honest with you, spoke to me on national radio and wouldn't pledge to build a single school when when asked. So yeah. I've had a current and says, hey, look, is there another PFI, PFI scheme down, 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 down the line? Uh, what have you got up your sleeve? Are, are they going to try it again? Is this the only way out of this? Are, are the schools going to be rebuilt with RAC? Are they going to be reborn? the money going to come from, from that? Because here's the big question. I, I said at the start of the show, follow the money. Follow the money. You follow the money, you follow the story. And there's a smoking gun sitting there and nobody's made the connection. Nobody's joined the, joined the dots up. And that's not personal to Bridget Phillipson. It's just the fact of the matter is she's the chancellor at the moment and she's pledged nothing for schools should they get elected. And there she is for her own constituency arguing 11 years ago that schools have to be built in her community. I think in America they call that the port barrel politics, don't they? Um, you know, looking after your own area, which is fair enough that the constituency MP should be doing. Uh, got a couple of messages coming in. Want you to reply? Uh, so, uh, oh, Adam's been there. Let's see. Oh, yes. Oh, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, showing, I'm just showing the links because it's fascinating, kind of following, kind of chronolog chronologically through, isn't it? Uh, yes. I think, kind of, and I think if anyone kind of then wants to, to kind of look at this in any more detail, it's kind of there as a kind of reference point. So here we have seven years ago, and seven years ago, we've got a couple of stories now, we're going to get seven years, five years, six years, four years. Uh, parties face calls to buy out private uh, contracts in schools and hospitals. So this is Scotland, because um, Scotland being a bit more... Uh -huh. Um, trade union has called on parties to commit buying out contracts for privately financed schools and hospitals. Unison, which represents public sector workers, said the Scottish government should save £12 billion by buying out the contracts for a range of projects currently being paid off like a mortgage over 25 to 30 years. None of the parties has backed the call, but the SNP and Labour have committed to reviewing some or all of these schemes. I wonder how that review is going. The call follows an Edinburgh schools fiasco, which saw 17 pri privately financed buildings closed due to safety fears. Oh, whoa, whoa. There's the rack. There it is seven years ago in Scotland. 17 privately financed buildings were closed because they, the quality of the bills were not good enough because the building materials they were using weren't good enough. So there we are, 17 privately financed PFI buildings were closed due to safety fears in Edinburgh, and that was seven years ago. Again, investigative journalists joined up the dots. Unison said that inefficiency of the contracts was a great concern as the building quality and safety was as well. Taxpayers faced repayments amounting to a total of 35 billion. This is only for Scotland, by the way. Schools, hospitals and roads and prisons, waste disposal facilities and other projects built under PFI or PPP, as it was called, and the two new variants developed by the SNP government. Aha! Who also bought into it, obviously. 
Oh, my word. Oh, here we go. So they bought into it as well. And the bulk of that, around 31 billion, relates to earlier PFI and PP contracts through the 4 billion owed as a result of newer schemes set to grow as a Scottish Futures Trust, the government body which negotiates public private deals. So here we have in Scotland that Labour, SNP, and obviously whoever's been, yeah, those, those two have been in government in Scotland, and they also bought into PFI or PPP. So the two of them, of course, why would they want to talk about it? Because there we are. They've been warned by unions that these buildings are A, unsafe, and B, they're locked into contracts which are bleeding the taxpayer dry of funds. And then they're actually saying and suggesting that it's cheaper in the long run to buy out, a bit like paying your mortgage early. That's basically what they're saying there. It's just, you know, if you've got the money there, pay off your mortgage now so you don't have to pay the bank over a longer period of time. Which for me, you know, my economics degree 101, I would probably seem like fine, sound financial sort of business there, wouldn't you? Why stay in debt longer than you need to? Six years ago. And this one, this is one, this is one you're going to have to hold me back. I'm going to go to John McCann after this one because this one's going to send me right off the edge. Five firms avoided paying tax despite two billion pounds worth of profits. BBC learns 2017. So there's 27th of October 2017 by Andrew Hoskin in the World Tonight BBC Radio 4. Good old Radio 4. Five offshore PFI companies paid little or no corporation tax during a five-year period despite making profits of nearly £2 billion. The five companies specialise in lending money through private finance initiatives. Hello. They own hundreds of public assets including schools, hospitals and even police stations. Hiya. So the BBC has also learned, here we are, 2017, big story, and it's not really made the, the headlines until Brandon got, got Bresser, but there we are, there was the warning, uh, learned that a small number of big offshore companies are currently on a buying spree. They're buying up a number of UK public buildings. Hello, venture capitalism. Research carried out by the think tank that investigates PFI deals, the European Services Strategy Unit, hmm, I probably don't have them any longer, reveals the extent of the buy-up in Britain. Nine offshore infrastructure funds owned between 50 and 100% of the equity in 335 PFI private schemes. This amounts to 45% of all the 735 current projects, offshore tax havens. And that means, let me put this straight, the UK taxpayers' money goes towards the school budget and then the school is paying a contract and the money for that contract isn't even going back into the UK economy. Off it goes to offshore, little probably, you know, Cayman Islands or the 47 other places in the world where you can hide your money. I, I don't want to name them all, but quite a few of them are actually former British colonies and British dependencies, apart from Panama, where you seem to be able to hide quite a bit. 12 offshore companies have been bought equity of 74% of the current project. Education and health, including schools and hospitals, account for two thirds of these purchases. Meg Hiller of Labour MP, who chairs the Public Accounts Select Committee, has told the world tonight, frankly, it's shocking. Thank you, Meg Hiller. Our taxes are paying for our schools and hospitals, and yet these companies are clearly profiting for paying no tax. So if I play to Meg Hiller, you know, there's the Public Accounts Select Committee. She, she blew the whistle on that, but she's the MP for Hackney South and expressed concern at the concentration of so many public assets in so uh, few hands offshore. Completely agree with her. Um, nobody foresaw the sale of the debt onto companies in this conglomeration. So she's apologising there, and nobody saw that the um, what well, that the these companies would then be bought out by other companies and be offshored. Um, we didn't see that pattern developing when it comes to our private utilities. There's a pattern there, isn't there? Hmm. There's a very strange pattern that seems to repeat itself over and over again. Now we see so few companies owing such a large amount of debt 
that's quite a big concern. I think we call that a monopoly, don't we? Um, and I think we're at the stage where the monopoly board says the word mortgage, but we don't earn very much. She described the year public assets as a cash cow adding. Now, there's a very big gap between the owner of the debt and the service and the organization paying for it. So we're in debt, we owe this money, and we're paying out these services to companies, and the money is being then filtered out overseas, not even staying in the UK. So that's UK taxpayers' money going towards schools and then filtering off into the ether. That's just what that is. <laughs> you know, let me just repeat this. And again, nobody's picking up on this. Nobody, there we have, that's, that's the World Tonight in DBC Radio 4. And I, and I, for the life of me, cannot think that this could be one of the biggest scandals in education, as it was in health. Let's be honest. Everybody knows about PFI and health. Everybody knows about the hospitals and debt. Why aren't we seeing the same in schools? And that is, I'll give you the date, and, and, and you can put that story on a uh, link there, 27th of October 2017, that was, and that was BBC Radio 4, saying that the um, PFI scheme was, was money was being pilfered overseas. Um, offshore PFI funds made profits of £1.83 billion over a five-year period from April 2015 to 2020, but paid little or no corporation tax. Okay, so um, I'm going to say our sponsor. You can say our sponsor while I just take a little drink and, and find my account. Calm down, yeah. I mean, that's um, well, well done, Brent, for you know spending your day kind of you know sifting through all that because I think it gives a real insight into the kind of the chronology of events of to where we are t today. But um, just while Brent kind of composed himself, um, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, uh, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools all around the world. Um, have you checked uh, their latest releases? You can use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore the full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Um, happy reading. And we'd also kind of, you know, like to promote Teacher Talk Radio while we're on it. Um, if you are listening tonight and you, you know, you're thinking of maybe a show yourself that you'd like to put together or have an idea um, of, uh, you know, um, mentioning something kind of live to an audience, either on Spaces or through um, our podcasts. And we've got kind of lots of kind of vehicles for this. And also uh, YouTube with the um, the Sunday show on, on Sunday morning, uh, the weekly review. Um, you can kind of get involved by visiting www.ttradio.org. Uh, and obviously make sure that uh, you're following this show uh, on Twitter and following the group. And, um, you know, and if you like what you hear, please feel free to kind of like and share um, the stuff that me and Brent put out. You know, you can do that through the uh, Spotify uh, rating, give us kind of a nice five stars. Um, obviously, it all helps kind of get, get us up those kind of charts and gives us good feedback if you like what you're hearing uh, today. Absolutely, so, and also please feel free to send some messages or you know in, interrupt my um full flow. I'm on, I'm on it this evening. I'm I'm not even apologise for it because I, I I think this is one of those. The more I've delved into this, the more I've gone. Oh dear God! And I'm I'm just I'm not saying I'm shocked. I just think why hasn't this been really you know flagged up? Because what's making me angry is to know in the same period of time how we've struggled for our pay conditions, how we struggle to meet ends meet. We are struggling in schools to meet ends meet. And money is being filtered out of UK schools and into offshore bank accounts. And seriously, nobody's sort of, you know, yeah, well, 
not really bothered. Yeah, but as, I, as you said, as you said, it's it's really grinding my gears this one. It is because it's yeah. just it's just un, it's just so unfair. It's just not, and it's not just so unfair. And obviously, we're having to cope with the lack of resources in the sixth wealthiest country in the world, which basically has got buildings falling down, which basically cost us during COVID because they wouldn't put filters in. I mean, add up everything, free school meals. Think of all the things we could do with that money in education. Just the SEND. It's just immoral. It's wrong, and it's it's everything for me. This 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 story and this whole PFI thing for me perfectly encapsulates everything that's gone wrong in education in the last generation. And even I even goes to the fact that the people haven't held us accountable. You know, they're more fixated in our our, our, our policies of haircuts and, and 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 school policies with socks and walking on corridors in silence. People are wound up by that. I mean, seriously, they know that their taxes are going overseas. <laughs> they know that their children aren't getting every penny that should be going into schools has been, you know, has been. That's ridiculous. Now, and here's the warning, right? But we'll continue. Lewisham schools liable for thirty-year PFI bills. So here's an ethics newspaper in Lewisham, and their warning five years ago. This is so again local newspapers and talk about a trawling to find these today, and I did do a, a deep dive into local news news stories to to do a good search. Lewisham schools are still liable for private initiative bills from up to thirty years. Uh, for up to 30 years ago, adding further strain on already stretched budgets the borough schools form heard. So PFI schools are paid and managed by private companies but involve extra costs, including maintenance costs. The schools were introduced across the country in 1987, so increased public sector. Several schools in the borough are PFI schools with 14 schools projecting a short funding shortfall for 2018-2019. Since 2018-2019, they were projecting a shortfall because of PFI. <laughs> what are the what situation are they in at the moment? No wonder we're hearing about schools of eighty to ninety kids in the classroom. No wonder we're hearing about redundancies. No wonder we're not recruiting retention. If that's the situation they were in in 2018-2019, God bless them. The forum chair, one and special school representative, said schools were liable for PFI bills for, for up to thirty years, and they had to be mindful of. We've got loads of PFI bills ranging back for a number of years. They can do it right up to thirty years, and there's nothing in the clause that can go back from. Um, and, and we have to pay it right up to thirty years. Um, unexpected PFI bills can throw out a school's budget, according to the school representative. The issue with PFI claiming monies for 10 years ago hasn't gone, he told the forum. So it basically back pay as well. PFI is one of the number of areas the local authority do really have helpful management services. What schools have been doing is trying to work out the overall impact of what re retrospective claims on PFI providers will be. So this is PFI providers claiming for services. And we're going to come to that in a second, where there's, I think, one authority with £14 million pounds worth of legal costs because they've taken the PFI provider to court. So it's £14 million pounds come out of private, you know, uh, come out of taxpayers' money to fight a PFI provider who's not providing the actual services and their contract broke on their contract. Yeah. Which is, again, what Brandman was talking about, wasn't it? This is where we're now getting to this point where the, the services that they're even charging aren't good enough and the buildings that they built aren't good enough. Yeah. So, which is the, the which is the it, for me is the salt rubbed into the womb. So that yeah, was feel, um, that way, in two thousand eighteen. Sorry, Adam. No, no, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying. Uh, as you're as you're going through this, it's kind of you know, I'm just kind of listening to this as a kind of like listener as you're kind of going through, and it's just all the things that we've talked about over the last months, all these kind of crises. You know, all all could have been potentially solved with money that is now essentially just leaving these schools' budgets into these contracts, and then the schools don't have the resources in the in the building anyway to fix the problems. Not that I'm defending the government, but they'd have made a point which 
in one aspect they would say is true from their perspective that they have increased funding for schools yeah. and that there's a record amount of funding for schools. And we know that's the fallacy when you look at these school to pupil ratios. But they would say from their outwards looking in, yeah, we're giving all that money to schools. But have they realised where schools are yeah, expensive? It's, it's, it's going straight out to these contracts, isn't it? But they, but that's of course. But they're, they're, they're from their point of view, they're going nothing to do with us. That's, that's pure gaslighting, isn't it? It's like they're, they're, they're taking no responsibility for that. I mean, the, the, the government that's going to come in, I'm sure, Labour government's going to come in, and what are they going to do? They're not going to acknowledge. That some schools are spending 20 25 percent of their budget servicing contracts that they signed you know some head teachers oh my gosh some head teachers are inheriting this god bless these people they probably go to a school and realize they open their books and go yeah i'm a head teacher of a new school fantastic let's look at my budget uh what pfi scheme <laughs> who signed that <laughs> you know this is like you know a football manager taking over the football team that's bankrupt you know <laughs> I've got some Everton listeners here. I think uh, you've got the Sean Dyche situation, God bless him. But that's not fair. It's just not fair. You know, you, that's not fair in head teachers when they have to take over schools. That's not fair in the current governing bodies of these schools. And as I say, these Bradford schools that were caught into this. And watch this. This is where this is where I, I, I had to walk away earlier on when I, when I read this one, when I put it all together. So the same Bradford schools in 2003, which welcomed it, which, you know, lorded it out and thought, wow, great, we're, you know, we've got these falling down schools. Fantastic. Here we go. Same Bradford schools. Pupils losing out on due to rising costs of PFI, according to school heads. <laughs> Generation of school heads different. Bradford head teachers have spoken about the financial pressures they face due to PFI contracts. This was reported in July, July 2019. So between 2003 and 2019, 16 years later, the same area that was lowered out as being flagship and getting these PFI schemes and brand new bills. <coughs> this is the reality. Public financial issues were used to fund building projects and were first brought in when the Labour, popular under the Labour government, under the Tories and then Labour government. They involved projects being built in partnerships with public bodies. At the meeting of Bradford Schools Forum yesterday, members heard some of the problems caused by the contracts, which schools are locked in for 25 years. Bradford Council signed two PFI contracts across the district with 10 projects in two phases. And again, the same schools I mentioned earlier on are there. And there was a second phase in 2011, which included other schools. So there was two phases to this. And even in 2011, they were still going ahead with another another fund. That means some of these schools in 2011 are locked in till, what's it, 2036? Oh, my God. We've got 12 more years. School bosses expressed a significant concern of the government funding and special needs places in Bradford. Each contract runs for 25 years, including provision. So their their the special needs is, is being cut. Um, go through it very quickly. Oh, here's here's the interesting thing, and this is the this is the crux of it. Members were told that the amount to be paid by the schools as part of the contract rises with the retail price index. Ah, so God bless them. Retail price index. Let me remind me. Two years ago and a year and a half ago went from one percent to 11 percent. Yeah. So what do you think their repayments on their PFI went? Correct. Absolutely getting pummeled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before the massive inflation of the Ukraine crisis in the last two years. So what they must be in at the moment, absolutely on their knees. This is before all of that. And this, again, I'll say the date on this. This is 2019. Yeah. So this is 2019. The cost of of seven mainstream secondary schools is 6.3 million. And the cost for three special schools charges 0.76 million. The meeting heard the contracts were signed during very difficult financial times. <laughs> and the CEO of, of the trust said something unless changes with PFI contracts and rising cost of repayments in schools could face major financial problems. There he is, CEO of the trust, who's got the PFI in 2019, 
warning that if something doesn't change with these contracts, they may face major financial problems. This is before the financial crisis, before COVID and the financial yeah. crisis. Yeah, due to oh, COVID, God. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and again, you know, they're, they're, they're ringing the bell there. They're ringing the bell and they're saying, what? Five years ago, they're ringing the bell saying, we are in trouble with PFI. Four years ago, actually, you five now. So, you know, that's, that's where we're at. Mm. And now where we're at is when brand women in and we saw, you know, the flooded classrooms, the dodgy contracts we've seen. Um, that, that story was repeated over and over again about the school forced to spend 470 grand on grass cutting. Um, so that was the, 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 they had to cut the grass um, never higher than 2.5 centimetres. The school must pay the company for the PFI agreement. So that was one of the classic examples of um, you must maintain your grass to make sure that you get their contract. Um, and and they said that, that that will rise more than 151,000 pounds since 2021. So there it is. So this year it will rise. That idea of cutting that that maintenance went from 470,000 pounds and add another 151,000 since 2021. The contract, and this is interesting actually, and here she is again, the contract prevents the school from shopping around for better prices, which Potter described as incredibly frustrating. Meg Hiller, chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, again, this is her now, she warned about this five years ago. Did she not? She said it's ridiculous, unacceptable. So no, no disrespect, Meg Hiller, but what have you been doing the last five years? Where's the bell been wrong? And, and I'm sure you have, but same person there mentioned the Public Accounts Committee five years ago is saying the same thing now. If there was more openness public, it would be shocked many citizens and taxpayers. Completely agree with Meg Hiller. Completely agree with you. If there's more openness, and she's a Labour MP, so fair play to her, breaking ranks there, but doing the right thing for the public. And she's saying it. The public, the, the publicity would shock many citizens and taxpayers, and it might push the companies to think again. So she's actually screaming out and saying if the general public knew what was going on, maybe they would push back. And I think my theory of a lot of problems in schools is, is that parents are fighting schools and blaming us and throwing them under the bus. But they just get behind us and defend us yeah. and actually save us from this. They are taxpayers. They're voters. This is the system. And I'm yes. serious. I don't know why I come up the next general election. Maybe I'm, I'm biased. I am. Of course I am. A devil's advocate. Of course I am. I'm, a I'm, I'm going into politics myself and I'm a teacher. So obviously I'm on that side of the fence. But come on, as a parent myself, if this was happening in my local primary school, are you telling me that happened in my local primary school? Do you think I'd be more worried about my child, you know, getting told off for a pair of socks or the fact that my child's got no... I mean, come on, we're at that point. This is enough. It's got to be enough. This has got to be one of those things where we just go, draw the line under it. And I want to say, I mean, talk about balance. Where are the unions on this? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm the one saying this. Where are the unions on this? There was unison saying that in Scotland how many years ago. Yeah. Maybe the union's too close to certain political parties. I don't know, but honestly speaking... Where is the where's the whistle blowing on this? Where's apart from that news story? And again, it's, that news story was broke, broke the news for a day or two, and it's done. It's gone. Yeah. It's, it's done. It's finished. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I don't know, kind of what um, how parents can get this information if you're just kind of outside of education. Maybe it'd be an interesting thing going forward if schools had to kind of, um, you know, register their, their accounts. Uh, as a as a public document more so people can kind of see a bit more about kind of where money is going in a school um, maybe, but, but they want to admit again if they're hamstrung by signing into a contract you, you know and they've got non-disclosure agreements they can't disclose that 
Yeah, but that, that sure that's, some schools that's, know. That's, I mean, that should never have been allowed to happen in in, in a kind of public uh, sphere, isn't it? Because the point is, you've got to have kind of openness and transparency in those those contracts. Yeah, you think in a democracy you would, but yeah. here's here's the public accounts committee five years ago saying it's an absolute disgrace. Here's the public accounts committee saying Brownman Jeffries as as that news story. It's an absolute ridiculous and unacceptable. And the public find out. Oh, let me say again. She added, if there was more openness and the publicity would shock many citizens and taxpayers. Mm. Okay, it took me a few hours to find all those news stories, and there they are. It's out there. It, 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 uh, and and I, I'm, I'm saying an hour and a half is what I spent putting this all together. <laughs> you know, investigative journalists, well done, Brownman, but where's the rest of them? <laughs> in a democracy, we need our journalists, and we need people to be holding the people in charge for account. And as I say, follow the money, and the money seems to be filtering out from UK schools to funding the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous and 47 tax havens around the world. So congratulations, schools are now the, the next latest sort of um, situation where our uh, our children's future is being pilfered away and sneakily hood hid in places where it can't be. And that's what that's what's really hurting me the most about this is this is taxpayer. I'm a taxpayer myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I practically fund my own self. You know, we, we are as teachers. So we're taxpayers. Forget that. And we pay our taxes. We know we pay our taxes. Or so does any of the public sector. This is public sector money that's just been taken out of the system. And 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 you think government can say, oh, we're pumping all this money in education. But the whole idea of our economy is you pump money in and you invest. I mean, you, you take investment. You're meant to invest. And that investment's meant to become sustainable. That's the government's red book. That's the idea of if you pump money in. That's the basis of the economic development. You put money in and you grow a positive multiplier effect. If you build a new school, then that school community starts to benefit, don't you? They've got those sports facilities. They've got you know, more confident kids. All that can grow an area. What does Sack says? And I agree with them. Education is a silver bullet that could solve a lot of problems in society. And here we have schools, 20% of their budget's going straight out the door. Not even just staying. If it's going to UK contractors, absolutely, yeah, fine. But three quarters of them is going to offshore bank accounts. Yeah, just... That's just, just scandal. Yeah, that is absolutely scandalous. And I don't know. I, you know, maybe we 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 raise the profile of this, or I, I maybe I feel a campaign coming on. I don't know. But yeah, well, seriously, it's, 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 it's certainly kind of something we maybe kind of need to keep following, and we'll keep kind of you know agitating for everybody to try to try and kind of get a bit more kind of headwind on this. But it's certainly worth kind of it's an interesting question. You know, why it hasn't been picked up in all those articles. Apart from one of the early ones, you said there doesn't seem to be kind of any union inputs at all on this. Um, you even know, though, and nobody of, of that kind of nobody seems to be with nobody seems to be, and you could say a non-disclosure agreement could account for some of that. But here's the thing: I parallel this with health, and yes, there is there is a definite public consciousness. We all know that my local hospital, one of my local hospitals, is, is you know is PFI. And, and it's well within the public consciousness that PFI is hospitals. But funny thing is, I don't think people realise, maybe there's something in about prisons and about roads. I didn't realise that, that PFI had touched beyond um, hospitals and schools and gone into other sectors. So I think this is like one of those things, the more we delve into it, the more people delve into it then. But then the military, if it's military stuff, military guys are duty bound not to say anything. They, they can't go on strike and things like that. It's interesting with military and the police, isn't it? That there's just a very different set of rules for them, you know. So they they're they're very hamstrung. They don't need, they they don't even need the disclosure agreements to be hamstrung, don't they? But certainly, I'm I'm disappointed. I'm I'm actually really disappointed that nobody's had. I suppose the uh, Meg Hillary said it twice, or for, for credit where credit's due. 
But Bridget Phillips and calling for more PFI when it was quite clearly obvious that it was going to be a problem. And I think yeah. he needs to help accountable to that. And I couldn't care less what political party, if she was my own political party, but saying exactly the same thing. What were you doing? What were you doing to your local community? And she could say, well, great, well, fantastic, you know, um, we're doing the best for our local community to be building these schools. Great. That, but then your job is to make sure those contracts, aren't you? And that's yeah. the second part of this. Fine. Okay. Get yourself into a mortgage, build these schools. But make sure then that the money doesn't get filtered out of the UK system and then make sure those contracts are... Well, it's, it's a question. Can I ask you this just from a kind of school's point of view? If, if a PFI company, if it was agreed that uh, a school was going to build a, uh, if a school was going to be built under one of these contracts, you know, is, isn't there a responsibility on the governance of the school as well to kind of kind of do some checks and balances on this so they can maybe project project forward and say kind of what ask those questions about where where will we be in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years time? What, what, what kind of assurances do you give us? On this contract that you know you are going to be able to maintain it you are going to kind of uh, do this and can we have some clauses in this contract if you aren't doing this who, yeah. who is who is helping the schools actually deal oh, look, yeah. i'm going to go there and i'm going to say something now and i'm going to say it because i'm honest what we're following the money follow the money and politics is a murky business we've seen the vip fast lane We've seen how things operate in this country. We've seen what, what you know, who you know. And lobbying happens, doesn't it? Lobbying happens. Mm. You know, like every other industry, I can tell you I've had lots of campaigning and been up against organisations when I've realised who pulls the strings and who, 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 who makes the things, who greases the wheels and makes the wheel go round. And I hate saying that, but let's ask that question. How is somebody, either somebody's asleep at the wheel or, watch this, and fair play to um, Jim McMahon, um, uh, Oldham West, Jim McMahon. So, uh, and, and actually, I don't know which political party Jim McMahon is. I think he's Labour. I'm not too sure. I think he's actually maybe Conservative. Uh, a, a company that oversees management at Oldham School buildings where kids were left shivering with no central heating last week is paying out millions of pounds to shareholders. And Oldham MP has claimed. Oldham West and Wrighton MP Jim McMahon told Parliament that the infrastructure group, the name, he's, I won't mention the name, um, dished out £80 million of shareholder dividends since taking over the contract at Newman College. And the Catholic, Catholic College, through the company, denies these claims. Speaking in an education's question session, Ms McMahon said, when it comes to funding of schools, shouldn't the government follow the money? Hi, there we go. Hello, Jim. <laughs> you speak in my language. Infrastructure, who owns Newman College, took out £80 million shareholder dividends at the time when it owned the PFI in school. But the heating system doesn't work. The roof is leaking, affecting 30 classrooms, and now two temporary classrooms have to be built to accommodate the pupils. But the government intervened and said to the provider, if the money is there to take the dividends, where's the money to fix the roof? And it was built in 2011 using a PFI. And it has no control over the way the repairs are dealt with, claims the head teacher, Glyn Potts. So for Jim McMahon, so there's another MP. Um, and I don't, honestly don't know which political party Jim McMahon, somebody can look it up. He's, 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 he's Labour, but the uh, kind of cooperative side of Labour. I don't care what side he is. He, he, he's actually play, standing up for his local... Well, if he's Labour, he's standing up for his local his, his local constituents, but at the same time, it was his government's policy, and then Bridget Phillipson was arguing for the very thing in 2011. Hold on, 2011, Bridget Phillipson was arguing to build PFI. That's good was built in 2011. So there you go. <laughs> Congratulations. Tell her what you want. As yeah. useful as, a, as, as somebody winning bullseye and getting a speedboat from Sheffield, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what you got yourself. <laughs> I always loved that, the way they always got a speedboat and they're landlocked. 
Yeah. So we just I just wanted to kind of uh, start wrapping up, Brent. We've only got yeah. like a few, a few minutes left, and uh, you'll be pleased to know <laughs> uh, AI has created uh, the Ballad of uh, Brent Poland um, in an Irish folk uh, in an Irish folk kind of uh, style. Um, oh, like so, so I thought that might be a bit of a kind of light relief yeah. after a kind of heavy. Should do, actually, should we mention our sponsor first before we yeah, go? Yeah, John, uh, say, say hello to John. Oh, you want me to? Oh, good, because my voice is about, I'm getting huskier and huskier as I go yeah. along. So this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, and they publish professional development books and resources and support to get teaching and learning in schools uh, here and around the world. Um, so please check out their latest release, releases. You can also use our code for 20% off, and that is JCTTR2324. So that's code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. So please don't miss out on that. And you can also visit them at johncatbookshop.com and that's two T's in John Cat as well to explore the full range of titles and advance your own CPD or professional development as we call it please read happily um, I get my email every week from John Cat I'm sure that when I open my inbox or my week off I will have something from John Cat to have a look at and I do have a little browse um, they've got such a really good diverse bunch um, of, of books and they're a really good publisher as well and, and we we're quite lucky to have them as our sponsor as well so please give them a visit and, and use our code as well I'll repeat JCTT or 2324 for 20% off so let's listen to thanks yeah, for, for your listening tonight as well we will play out with the um, yeah, thing. And I'm sorry about monologue tonight but I just the more I went through that I think there's. I'm definitely going to do some more about this um, now I've started digging into this it, it, it ticks my boxes of sense of injustice, unfairness, and something I think needs to be very much highlighted because I think the point you're making is very valid. There's a lot of problems could be resolved with a lot of money being filtered out in education. And if that money is, as the government says, is spending a record of amount of money, great. Well, let's, let's make sure that record of amount of money goes to the right places, for the right people, for the right children, for the right reasons, for the right cause. And I think that's a problem, is, is, that, is that the resources need to be better allocated within, because the, from signs of it, there is something in what's going on in education that is rotten. And this PFI scheme, and fair play to, again, Branwen and, and John and Tom's... Um, uh, what's the uh, sorry uh, for, for breaking that? But you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. ready. So the ballad of Brent Poland. Here we go. With fiery passion in his heart on the airwaves he was sent. A talk radio star with a voice bold and clear. He captivated listeners, his words they love to hear. Old Brent Poland, know you have the gift of With your tales and stories, you've become a true folk On the time when you tune in to hear your wits, Brent Poland, the talk radio legend on our I, I love the lyric at the end. I don't know if you heard that. Brent Poland, the talk talk radio legend on our farm. <laughs> Very introduced of my ma. I love that. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll upload it onto Twitter for, for everyone to kind of oh, sing. I'm playing a local radio. <laughs> 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 it's almost, that's not as country in 
Western myth. It's like, it, well, it's, like it's kind of a storytelling Irish folk. Like, oh man, it's like Daniel O'Donnell has risen from the grave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to do one for the prof. <laughs> he would love that as well. Paul, I actually Paul's not on tonight as well. Um, so yes, Sunday. Don't forget Sunday. We've got the. Um, the weekly review at 10 o'clock and Monday night again is Nathan's fantastic show with uh, Dr. Fisher, which they're going to discuss lots of um, issues around attendance and the psychology of attendance, what's happening to our children. So that should be quite an interesting discussion. So tune in for that one as well. And of course, you can get this back on anywhere you can listen to uh, your Spotify, your Podbean, and it'll be uploaded for 30 days because you want to listen to the timeline of the PFI scandal. So thank you and good evening, everybody. And if you're on a half term, enjoy the rest of your half term. If you're not, then good luck tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers, bro. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.